One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. As usual, I'm Tom Altruzewski, and tonight I'm joined by Trey Bond and Justin Viber. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, Tom. Good. Good, Tom. Cool. All right. Well, uh, for the listeners, uh, today we wanted to talk a little bit about the Autonew Power Rankings. Uh, you may have seen that Justin posted an article a few days ago, and I will link to it um, in the post, setting power rankings for different Autonew teams across the Autonew universe. Uh, so he looked at some of the top teams in the different formats, and also some of the top leagues, which leagues are performing the best across the board. Um, so first of all, Justin, if you could just tell us a little bit about the methodology behind this, you know, the math and kind of where it came from. Sure. I mean, I'll start with just a very brief sort of history of how these got started. Um, I think it was back in 2012, 2013, um, a guy that was in one of uh, our leagues, Trey and my league, um, Nate Emerson, I think I actually took over his team um, when he left that league. He was running uh, a standings poll. He had a Python script that he would use to go out and scrape all the standings data. And he was the one that started doing power rankings. Um, And I, at some point came across his work and thought it was fascinating, thought it was really interesting to see, you know, who the top teams were. He was tracking sort of, um, sort of on a macro level, what, what league, you know, across all leagues, what, what the points per game and points per innings pitch were. So I thought that was really interesting. And, um, he, he left the league that, that Trey and I am, are in, and he was kind of retiring from fantasy. And I, I reached out to him and said, hey, I mean, I wouldn't mind continuing your work. And he was nice enough to share his uh, methodology, some, some tips and some tech support for me as I learned how, how to run his Python scripts. So, um, so basically what I've done, at, at the time that he was doing it, he was only running it for Fangraphs points. Um, last year... In July, I took over and I added, um, I was still doing Fangraphs points and then I started, I think I did one uh, at the end of the year, I did a post on Sabre rankings, but I didn't do anything with 4x4 or 5x5. Um, And then this year, starting with these April power rankings, I now have power rankings for all four formats. Um, I don't do exactly the same thing that, that Nate was doing with his. He had sort of an automated way to to do different uh, power scores based on standard deviation of the team points and things like that. I I tried to simplify it just a little bit um, because I couldn't get his automated process to work, so then I had to do it by hand. Um, But basically, there's two components to it. Number one, there's the power rankings for the teams. um, And basically, all I do is I look at the pace that every team is on for their games played and their innings pitched and their current points per game and points per innings pitched. So then I give them a pace number, which is simply their predicted games played times their current points per game plus their predicted innings pitched times their points per innings pitched. And then that becomes a pace number. Um, So my top 10 fan points teams by pace, that's what it's listing those teams by. 
Um, now, there's a lot of assumptions built into that, and we've talked about this a little bit in prior prior episodes, but that this doesn't know how good your team really is. It only knows how good your team has been, and it's assuming your team is going to perform at that level through the end of the year. And we know that's not true. Anybody that's got a 6.95 points per innings pitch is probably not going to keep that pace up, but it, this at least tells you, you know, scaled out um, towards through the rest of the year, extrapolated out the rest of the year, this is what that pace that this team is on right now, this is how many points that team would be scoring uh, if they keep this pace up, basically. This is similar to what we described in the dashboard, right? Justin? Exactly. It's 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 very it's it's different because I'm not actually pulling um, I'm not pulling the lineup data for how many games they've got at each position. I'm just taking one overall games played number and then and then extrapolating that out. So there's a little bit of hinkiness if somebody hasn't had any catcher games and they're way over on outfield games. Um, that doesn't really pick up as well as it would in the standings dashboard. We can drill down into that a little bit better in the standings dashboard. This is just kind of the quick way to get close enough to that same to that same information. But yes, it's very similar to, to the pace number that uh, is on the standings dashboard as well. So, Cool. I, I think that's very interesting. Um, and, and just like you and Trey were mentioning, I think we can caution readers and listeners a little bit that uh, this isn't necessarily a projection of exactly what your team will do, um, but it's you know, a power ranking. It's showing you what the teams have done so far. And that's a little different than, say, when Buster only, you know, does power rankings and ranks what teams he thinks are going to be the best at the end of the year. Right. This is more of a look back at the month so far and what the teams have done so far. Yeah, I mean, I, if you were if you wanted to be really detailed about it, you would look at a particular league. You would look at the pace that everyone was on. And and but you would also incorporate like rest of season projections at a player level. Um, and then you could get a sense. Then you could really get incorporate the quality of each team but i'm not doing that i'm just pulling the standings data in aggregate for all the different leagues and then running um you know running some formulas to come up with a pace number um so that's the first component is is ranking um specifically this this is how it works for the the fangraphs points leagues and the other points format which is called saber points it's just taking the pace um based on their current rate of points per game and points per innings pitched and how close they are to the games played and innings pitched cap. Um, the other component of that is the league rankings. Um, that is, it's very subjective. I just want to put that out there right now. I added a disclaimer on my post. Every time I've ever posted these, I've always said, this is like for fun. This is my stab in the dark. I'm making subjective decisions to come up with an objective ranking but you have to understand that I'm deciding what criteria goes into that. So I'm just picking what I think represents the best leagues in the terms in the same in the way that I define that. Um, I've had a lot of conversations. I've had conversations with Trey. I've had conversations with Joe about you know what other components could be added or what really truly represents the best league. But right now, <clears throat> on these April rankings, there's really two primary factors. Number one, I'm calculating the pace number for every team. So the first component of the league rankings is just taking the total sum of the pace projections for every team in a given league. So, you know, the Auto New Champions League was number one on the league power rankings. For the pace component, they were number four. So the right now the Champions League has the fourth highest total score pace of any league. Um 
the second component is similar but a little bit different in that I'm only looking at the top six teams and taking the pace projections for just the top six teams in the league. Now, functionally what this does is it sort of takes the top 12, you know, the 12 teams in the league, counts their pace, and then it double counts the top six. The reason I've settled on that as, as the way that I'm doing these league power rankings is there's a couple things I'm trying to capture. Number one, the more efficient a league is overall, 1 through 12, in setting their lineup, maximizing games, that's going to be represented in having higher pace projections. If you have more teams that are haven't given up yet, if you have more teams that are still setting their lineups every week, still actively working the waiver wire, that will result in a more competitive league. The, the point when Nate first started doing these power rankings, I think one of the one of the ways he referenced it was he was trying to figure out which leagues would be the toughest to win. And that's kind of what I'm trying to emulate here is which leagues have the most competition. Um, and one way I think that th- that's represented is the most efficient leagues in terms of, of scoring. Um, and then the top six part of it, basically what I decided, I got a lot of feedback from some people that said, you know, you don't really want to penalize a league that has two rebuilding teams right now. Maybe not necessarily. That doesn't mean the league is any easier to win. It just means that, that maybe that team is that those teams are actually a little smarter and that they're, they're being um, proactive in, in rebuilding now, where in a weaker league, maybe teams take too long to decide to rebuild. So you shouldn't really punish a league for, for having a couple really low pace projections on, for the 11th and 12th place team. So that top six ranking just kind of eliminates any of those teams at the bottom that might be rebuilding and just looking at the top half of the league, obviously. Um, and right now, that's those are the only two factors. In last year's rankings, I also had a third factor, which was how close the race was at the top. I think it was like a top three or top four. So that the tighter the race, the, the more credit the league got in the power rankings. Um, if, the, if, if you're a good league, there's a lot of the, the pace projections are high. The top six scoring is high, but the first place team is up by 1,500 points. Um, they would get punished a little bit in the rankings for that. It was a smaller component. I think I did like it was like a 45, 45, 10 percent split. I think when I was doing that at the end of last year. Um, so it's a, it's a minor component, but I think it is important to say this league and this league they're relatively equal, all things considered, but. One league has a team that's running away from it, and the other one has, you know, the first place team is in a neck and neck dog race with another team. I think it's important to know how competitive things are at the top. So, Justin, are you taking the pace makes sense to me, but on the uh, top six, are you taking current as is today top six teams, or are you taking the pace of the top six teams? Right. That's still taking the pace of the top six teams ranked by pace. Okay, because so you could like today we have a league you and I where one of the guys in the top six spots has you know three hundred and sixty innings pitched year to date, which is over a hundred more than probably somebody else. So they they typically would fall back as the season unfolds because they've sort of outpaced the the innings. Right, and and the pace number that I have on the power rankings is going to account for that because it will cap however many points they're given credit for for fifteen hundred innings. Um, so they won't, they won't get artificially boosted because they've thrown more innings than anybody else, just like it works in our standings dashboard. Um, so for, for the points league, that's basically the two components that I do the, 
the team power rankings based just on the pace number. Then I do the league power rankings, again, mostly on the pace number, but I also build in, it's, it's a top 12 and a top six. Um, and I'm open to ideas about, you know, if somebody out there has a really good idea of, you know what, if you really want to capture competition or you really want to capture quality of op- 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 opposition and quality of competition, maybe there's some other metrics that I can add um, that don't muddy the waters too much, but, but I'm completely open to an idea for how to improve um, what I'm trying to measure, which is which leagues are the most difficult to win, which leagues are the most difficult to finish fourth, fifth, you know, third, fourth, fifth, um, and not just to win it, but also to get, you know, at the top of the league as well. So I think when Nate did it a long time ago and he, he did a great job, but we tried to incorporate money somehow, you know, how much money is accruing at the top of the standings versus the bottom of the standings as far as salary and loans and stuff. I don't know if you've looked at that. I haven't. Um, I think that is important. I think it's more difficult if, if a league has the top teams don't have like $600 salaries, for example, I think that that has a little more representation. I think a team is stronger if they can put up more points without having so much in salary. Right now, the standings poll that I do, it doesn't, I'm not pulling in any information for the current salary or cap for any of the teams. Um, I think it was one of the suggestions in the comments in the article as well. It's a good idea, and I probably would add it if I had access to that information. Um, but right now, when I do that that standings poll, um, that information isn't there. Um, I know another factor that Joe likes to talk about is you're not really measuring, like a, the better league, in theory, would also be the more active league. So you could, you know, you could add a component for how, how often there are trades or how frequently teams are on the waiver wire adding players, how many transactions there are could be a proxy for how active a league is. Um, and I think that's a good idea too, but what I'm trying to do here is, is not, I may have subjectively picked the components that make up the power ranking, but they still are objective. It is objective information. It's how many points these teams are projected to score when you start adding in, well, okay, so how much credit should you give a team for having, or a league for having 30 trades versus 25 trades? I don't know where to draw the line. I don't know which is a good amount, which is not a good amount. So in theory, yes, the more active the league, I would agree that should be a more competitive league. That should be a better league, quote, unquote. Um, but I'm not really trying to find where the, what the best leagues to play in are. I'm trying to find the leagues that are the most competitive. And I think you can do that just by looking at um, – how the teams are scoring and how the league, the shape of the league is made up from top to bottom. So, yeah, I think you've hit a pretty good balance there. Cause just like you said, I think we might run into some trouble if we were trying to do power rankings, looking at a whole range of different subjective options. You know, we see that in major league baseball, that every different writer puts out different power rankings, depending on a whole host of things. But I think you've kind of hit a good balance here on something that is like a very simple system that can just be projected without having to have a ton of manual input. It will just spit out some leagues. And I think it's done a pretty good job. You know, if you look at the difference between the, um, the pace and the top six rankings, you'll see that the, the lowest score, which is still pretty good is um, a league 168 bleacher bums is ranked 27 in the overall rank and number five in the top six rank. Right. And, And I think that's pretty good that we've come up with a thing that are a setting where, um, each of these leagues is doing pretty strongly by those two options. And I would imagine um, the total pace is a good proxy for the activity of the league, because one thing that we used to see in the early days 
was that you would have some teams that would basically get bored. They would go home and stop setting their lineups. And I think what we're seeing now is that we have a lot more leagues where everybody is playing throughout the year. Even if they're rebuilding, they're still setting a lineup and their league is getting the full benefit of 12 active teams. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, if, if you have, you know, anybody that, that read that article and wondered, you know, oh, I wonder why my league didn't make it up there. Um, that could be a big factor. I know I'm in the league with a guy and he sent me a message on Slack and said, I'm just curious, where did our league end up? And I said, you know, we were in the 20s or 30s. And I said, we were really hurt because there's one team in that league, the 12th place team that, that basically doesn't have more than a dozen major league players. So they can't set a full lineup. They're not anywhere near meeting the games played or innings pitch cap. So their pace number is really low. So that, that league gets dinged in the rankings because they're lower in that total pace. Right. And, um, and when the component. total pace here, you know, is spread across about 5,000 points, you have maybe 211 there, 205, 206. Yeah. It's going to be really hard if you have one team that instead of even making 14 or 15,000 points, they're projected for 10. Yep. That wipes them right out of this top 10 category entirely. Yeah. I mean, and I know there's a few leagues out there as well that, that maybe they started the year with 12 teams, but somebody missed the draft. And so they really have a team that's not scoring anything because it's a dead team right now. Um, they're going to be very low in these rankings too. They're not going to show up in the top 10 because it's basically an 11 team league and it's, it's easier to, it's easier to put up a better score. It's easier to, to win the league when there's only 11 total competitors rather than 12. Um, and I, one thing I wanted to circle back real quick, you were, you're making the analogy between, you know, what these rankings are doing versus like the subjective power rankings you see for major league baseball. And that's basically what this is. Instead of subjectively ranking leagues or teams, um, it's like using Pythagorean expectation for, you know, looking at runs scored and runs allowed and then looking at the expected record based on that. That's, that's kind of the analogy to what I'm trying to do here is take away all the subjective. Well, this guy's hurt. This team's going to get better because they have call-ups in June. No, just what have they done so far? What would you expect them to be um, performance wise based on that? And that's kind of what, what I'm trying to accomplish with the, with the power rankings. Now, um, I'll segue now over into the other half of this, which is the rotisserie leagues. It's, it's a completely different process. And I kind of had to, you know, come up with how I thought the best way to approach this would be, because this is the first time I've ever even looked at those four by four and five by five leagues. So the method I settled on was for the team rankings. What I did is I took every single team. Uh, let's say we're looking at five by five. I took every single five by five team in Audenew. And I ranked them like you would normally do in a rotisserie league. You get in a 12-team league, you'd get 12 points for having the most home runs in your league and 12 points for the most RBI in your league. I did the same thing, but instead I did it not looking at a team-by-team or a league-by-league basis, but assuming that it's one enormous league with uh, 500 teams and then whoever was first place in home run across the entire population of Audenew 5-by-5 teams, then they would get whatever ended up being 511 points, let's say. So I ranked every 5x5 team as if it was one giant league. And that's what that power ranking is for the top 10 5x5 and the top 10 4x4. I did the same thing for them. Um, So what you're seeing is basically if it was one enormous league, these are the teams that would have the most rotisserie points um, based on their performance in the different categories. Now, unlike the points leagues, I didn't actually, I'm not making any adjustments for how far above or below the games played and innings pitch cap some of these teams might be. Um, 
So I'm not adjust. Basically, I'm not adjusting for, you know, if somebody's thrown 300 innings, they're going to have more wins and saves than everybody else and more strikeouts. I'm not really adjusting for that right now with, with the uh, rotisserie leagues, um, mostly because when you pull in the standings data for rotisserie leagues, you, there's literally no way for you to back in to how many games played. Um, those teams. I have think had. that might be a, a wise choice too, because in the five by five and four by four leagues, we see a little different uh, scenario where sometimes you might or might not want to throw those innings uh, in a different way than in a points league, because yeah. you know, sometimes you throw innings and it might actually be negative. Whereas in a points league, usually whatever amount of games or innings you get, you're always going to get some points, even if it's a below replacement level amount. Right. So I think it's a little, a little different if they're throwing 300 innings chances are some of that is reflected, you know, maybe in them having a weaker ERA or whip exactly. than they might if they had been more selective. Exactly. So I think it's definitely a little less sensitive to, um, you know, where the teams are pacing on games played and innings pitched. But um, so that's how the teams are ranked in the two rotisserie leagues, uh, league types, I should say. Um, as far as the league power rankings, this is very similar to what I did for the points league. I basically just took the total power score of every team in the league and then rank the leagues based on that total. So that, for example, the number one five by five league is ultimate foul balls, uh, league number four ninety five. So that meant that the, the, the sum of the 12 teams in their league had better rotisserie rankings against the entire population of five by five than any other league. So they're basically their collection of 12 teams were the best collection of 12 teams against any other league. Um, now, can I uh, just ask for a second? Absolutely. Um, just because I haven't played 5x5 five five in quite some time now. So what would the average power score be for, you know, a league that just got the points of their league? And I know every league is essentially um, going to have the same total score at the end of the year. Yep. Um, so how would one of these top 10 teams compare to the average score? Are you talking about the team level or the league level? Um, at the league level. So I, I do understand that, like, in, in every league there's going to be the same number of total points available. Um, what is that number of points? Um, for the five by five leagues, the average league had a power score of just over 3000. Um, so it's not a huge spread. So the number one mm -hmm. league was at 3396. The average is 3000. The lowest one is a thousand. I think that's probably a league that's missing a lot of, it's got some dead teams, some dead teams. Exactly. Um, right. Actually, but yeah. I mean, that, to me, that's still pretty significant that, you know, if, if the average is 3000 and then the best teams are scoring 400 points over that, you know, that's a considerable amount of points per team that everyone in that league is really performing so well. Yes. When yes. you compare them to all the teams, you know, their simulated amount of points. Yeah. In, in this particular case, that that league number 495, that I, I would say that's a pretty significant um, gap between them and the rest of the teams, even just in the top 10. Um, it definitely seems like that's a better collection of of um, of teams in that particular league. Um, and then at the at the team level, the number one team for five by five had four hundred and fifty three. Um, the average team in five by five had two hundred and fifty four because I think there were five hundred and eight teams total. Um, yeah. Wow. Close. So they're like trouncing the field, those top couple teams there. <laughs> yes, they definitely are. Um, that particular team, five toolers was basically, I mean, they were like in the top 50 of every, every category, I think almost, um, wow. which was pretty crazy. So, 
I think the, the weakest one they were in was average. They were only, they were like 150th in average, but everything else, they were like top 50 um, in every single one of those components, which is pretty nuts. Yeah. Well, uh, and you can even see there compared to the other top teams, you know, they're not exactly a slouch at average either. It's just compared to their other categories. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and I want to take this moment too. There's something else that I wanted to mention when it comes to you're looking at these top five teams or top 10 teams. And I, I imagine Trey's going to agree with me here. The goal of Adenu is not to have a top 10 team in all of Adenu. That's not your goal. Your goal is to win your league. You're, you, most of these teams, that unless there's another team also in the top 10 uh, that's in their own league, and that, that has happened last year, there were, I think, two different leagues that had two teams in the top 10. The goal is to win your league. So, sure, it's, it's fun to score 20,000 points. It's fun to see yourself in the top 10 teams. But don't do that while crushing the rest of your league. You could actually start selling. You know, you could start selling off assets to better prepare yourself for the future because you're so far ahead of your competition. So um, I don't want this to be, you know, oh, I got to get on the top 10. That's, that's what really matters. No, win your league. Set yourself up better for the future. You don't have to, um, you know, winning by 3,000 points is a waste in a, in a points league. You know, you're, you don't want to win by that much because that means you probably could have sold some of your your assets for more future performance so i don't know if, if you agree with that trey or if you've got a different viewpoint on that but i do i, I mean it's a dynasty you always want to you want to win for as long as you can whether it's this year or or several years in the future but you're right i mean that's why i like the power rankings because as you said in the beginning you want to win the most competitive league as possible but the bottom line at the end of the day is to win your league the, the other thing I was going to bring up earlier that I want to know if you have thought about accounting for, because we've talked about this in the past, is the age of the league. So I guess my theory is that at the end of the season, since you're going by pace, well, I guess at the end of the season, pace won't matter as much. But as you go along, the, te- the leagues that are the oldest theoretically would have the best assets going forward as far as younger priced player or younger uh, salary players and think cheaper salary players. And I mean, we should see more older teams in the top 10. Wouldn't you think? I think that's absolutely right. And I, it's one of the things that I'm actually going to start to track this year. Um, I want to compare at the league level and at the time, at the team level. Um, I started doing this a little bit. I, I made a post about um, my, surplus calculator um, projections for every league and looking at which uh, the older league, did they have a team that had a higher projection? And in general, they did. The highest projections on my, on my surplus calculator tool usually belong to teams that were in those older leagues. Um, and I think that's absolutely what we have seen. And I think that's absolutely what we will continue to see, that an older league has more sort of established surplus um, and you will see those teams, the best teams in those older leagues are going to be a lot better than the best team in a brand new league because they've had more time to accumulate assets, more time to, to generate those really massive surplus assets. Those, you know, $15 Carlos Correa's, those $38 Bryce Harper's that exist right now when those, those assets do not exist in a year one league because everyone paid market price. Um, so, I think that's absolutely correct. Now, the other side of that, though, 
is I think that the newer leagues actually do a little bit better in the league power rankings because in theory, no one came into the season rebuilding because everyone started from scratch and everybody was probably trying to win right away. So I think you actually see that the newer leagues do a little bit better in the league power rankings for that fact that there's a lot more parity one through 12 right away. Um, whereas in an older league, a lot of the older leagues that I'm in, a lot of the older leagues that I I've looked at when I look at the data, they have monstrous teams, you know, that have collected a ton of talent and they, they look like 20,000 point teams, no doubt. Um, and you just don't see that gap in competition in, in newer leagues, even a year two league. Um, I think, you know, it's not until you get into the year three and beyond that you really start to see uh, the teams separate and you really get those those top teams are scoring a lot of points. Um, and as, as Adenu gets older, I mean, we're only in, what is this, the sixth season for, for the oldest Adenu leagues outside of the original one that Niv founded. Um, so it's really, we're still kind of early in terms of finding um, long-term sort of um, data points on how what's what's the typical evolution of a league what do we really you know expect to happen we're only six seasons in so um, it's something I want to track this year to kind of get a sense what I probably will do at the end of the year is show okay I have all the final standings data now I'm going to show you the the average team in a first year league scored this many points the average you know team in a second year league scored this many points and sort of compare it um because I think there'll be some interesting information to, to glean from that. So, Yeah, well, uh, jumping off of a point that you just made about um, us going into the sixth year of Adenu now, one thing I really noticed is that in the um, league power rankings, um, we are starting to see, well, really in both of them, but I, I noticed it first in the league power rankings, we're starting to see some of these more experienced leagues, um, really, in my opinion, like get serious. You know, we're starting to see leagues where all 12 teams are competitive. And not only that, all 12 owners, you know, are people who've been playing out new now for three, four, even five or six years in the case of some of the early adopters. Uh, and we're starting to see these cases where even a league where some teams are rebuilding, you have really fierce competition going on where, you know, the 10th and 11th place teams are still um, playing every day. They're still setting their lineups. They're still maybe not aiming to win because they know they're out of it, but they're playing hard. Um, and the same thing in the top 10 teams, we're starting to see some of these cases where I don't think it's just that these teams have had more time to kind of build up a dynasty. Um, it's also that the owners are getting better because, you know, we've been playing out new for five years now. Um, and some of those owners have really built up a knowledge of some of the tricks of the trade, like the main out new strategies. Um, so Justin, what do you think about, uh, I'm most interested in how that affects the top leagues and and kind of how all the different owners are adopt, adopting and adapting to these new strategies. Well, I, I mean, first of all, I want to say that I think it's one of the big goals um, that I think all of us have had with with, you know, the Slack community, with the the writing that we do on Rotographs, with the fact that we have this podcast, we're trying to sort of give new teams, new owners a jump start with that, with that gap, um, with that learning curve. Um, I think we're seeing some more competitive leagues right out of the, right out of the gates for newer leagues because of that. I think we're starting to see some owners that have been in, um, a third or fourth year league and they've kind of been kicking around as a rebuilding for a couple of years. I think we're starting to see them get better, um, as they start to sort of crowdsource the best way to, 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 you know, make certain decisions. 
Um, I will say, though, that I don't know if I agree too much with what you said about, you know, let, let me let me take a step back and say it this way. I'm seeing a lot of the same leagues that I saw last year at the top of the power rankings, also at the top of the power rankings, even after only one month. Not only that, I'm seeing a lot of the same teams that were at the top of my power rankings at the end of last season. I think it's three of the top 10 right now in April were also top 10 teams last year. To me, that's crazy that you can have a team that was so dominant last year and it can still be dominant. Now, obviously, they, they are because they have those surplus assets that allowed them to win and also have excellent keepers to build another great team this year. Um, but it's something that we've talked about before. I think there is a little bit of a parity problem with, with Audenew, Um And it's the sort of reason that, you know, I had a league that I started this year that has coupons, arbitration coupons and uh, five MLIB where, you know, there's there's value in finishing as high as you can. So you don't have this sort of this massive binary decision where a lot of leagues, it's you either go for the championship or once you realize you can't win the league, you just sell off as much as possible because there's absolutely no incentive to finish in sixth place. Um, and I think that's creating a situation where these teams at the top, they have the best talent because they're winning the league, but they also have the best future assets because they can afford to continue to build those players because everyone's selling and they can be, they can get the absolute best price they can move one prospect and get three studs back. Um, that's where you see some of those teams that they're, if they're romping the league by 3000 points, they can turn around and start to buy prospects because they don't need to worry yes. about someone catching them. And the smart teams are doing that. And, and the teams that I'm seeing um, at the top, I mean, there, there are a couple teams. There's one team in particular, and I'm not going to name it because I don't know that he wants me to mention it, but there's one team in particular that has been in the top 10 every single year for the last four or five years. Wow. Just dominating. Um, and that says something about the competition in the league. It says something about the quality of that owner, but I think it also says something about, you know, it's there's there maybe needs to be just a little bit more of a tweak to the parity level in Audenew because it, I can imagine how frustrating it is to be a new owner, to be stuck at the bottom of your league for two or three years in a row and feel like you're not making any progress. Um, and that's that's kind of why we do what we do is we want to give those owners, hey, don't get discouraged. There's help. We'll give you the, the, the knowledge that we have. We'll try to give you some tools to help level the playing field because it's tough. It can be a very tough game to wrap your head around, even though, you know, it, it doesn't have to be tough, but sometimes it can be tough. Um, I mean, I, I can say firsthand, I think it is tough. Um, as soon as I looked at this article, the thing that jumped out at me uh, in your Fangraphs Points League power rankings uh, I only play in four leagues, which I know on this podcast might be uh, the <laughs> lowest number. Um, but of the top six leagues in your power rankings, all four of my leagues are in there. Uh, and I can tell you it's it's frustrating to be playing against that level of owner. Um, so I wonder if what we've seen is a, a little bit of both. I think on one hand, you're definitely correct that we've seen um, not just some of the most experienced owners, but some of those elite surplus teams really dominate the rankings year in and year out. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like um, we've really seen the level rise up around them, if that makes sense. So part of what I think is happening is that, you know, the league might be getting better, 
But at the same time, it's kind of like a rising tide lifts all boats. So the top team in that league is also getting better. Uh, and that's why you see you made the point here that we have, uh, I think you said, eight teams that are on pace to break the all-time points record for a team in one year. Yeah. Um, you know, so each year we've seen that record getting pressed up, but now we're on pace to see it shattered by, I don't know if all, all eight will break it, but potentially five or more teams. Right. Um, a couple quick points um, off of that uh, observation that you made about there being eight teams right now that are on, on pace currently to be better than the, the best team ever in Fangrass points, which was last year's uh, Durham Tobacconists in League 52, uh, which was 20,530 points. Um, right now, the first place team by pace in Fangrass points is at 21,538 for a pace number. Now, that's going to come down. I mean, that's one month into the season. That's going to come down. I can pretty much guarantee it. Um, I looked at last year, May 1st. There were the first place pace was at 21,200, basically. So really not too far off of what it is this year. But there were only there were five teams that were pacing above 20,500 last year. Um, and this year there are nine. So I and, and one of the reasons that I think that is, is I, I made a point of mentioning it in the article too. Not only is points per game scoring up this year than it was last year so far, one month into the season. Uh, right now, teams are averaging overall 5.04 points per game. Last year, it was 4.92. But points per innings pitched is also up. <laughs> I'm not quite exactly sure how that happens, how, how pitching is up and hitting is up. Um, I have some theories about why that might be, but that might be something we have to spend some time to talk about in a, in a future episode. But uh, we're at 5.19 points per innings pitch this year versus 5.14 last year. So both points per game and points per innings pitched are up at, at a, on a global level. Uh, well, not to, um, to dig too far into it, but I think that's kind of representing what I suspected might be happening that, um, you know, we might see points per game or inning rise and fall based on what happens in MLB. But at the same time, we're also seeing this kind of tide across all auto new leagues as people absorb some of these common strategies. Yeah. You know, so maybe we're not seeing a landslide of teams breaking records yet. But I think we are seeing the pace start to creep up across the board as even some of the weaker teams in these leagues start to pick up on the strategies. And, you know, leagues are starting to get more competitive outside of just the top couple teams. Right. A, a lot of these leagues across the board. Um, I think another factor could be it's, it could just be an artifact of this being the first month of the season that there aren't as many teams that have basically thrown in the towel and start running out, you know, those replacement level pitchers that drag their points per innings pitch into the gutter. Um, there aren't as many of those teams out there right now because there aren't as many leagues where guys have just said, you know, I give up already. Um, so it could just be because we're only one month into the season. Um, I don't have the specific numbers for what points per game and points per innings pitch were last year just for april um if i did i'm wondering if it would almost maybe it would be similar that points per game and points per innings pitch is higher for the first month of the season than it is towards the end of the um, by the end of the season but that's something i'll be tracking next month and the following month to kind of see um if we're still running you know at a higher points per game and points per innings pitch pace um as compared to last year so um yeah i'll definitely be curious to see how that shakes out, if it kind of settles down or if we start to see uh, a trend in this direction, then we can start to analyze either what's causing it or we can just say, you know, small sample size, beware. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, and I, but I think you're right. I think part of it is, um, you know, in theory, if if teams are getting, if owners are getting better, just because they've been, you know, the longer you play, in theory, the better you should get. And I think that definitely happens. I think, um, you know, we're all getting better, and I think the community aspect right now with the with the official community and with the Slack community, um, I think it's really helpful for everyone to kind of have a gauge of, of other strategies, of other inputs, of, you know, how other teams would do things. I think it, it, it doesn't hurt. Um, I think it absolutely is helping kind of, as you said, Tom, it, you know, the, the rising tide lifts all boats, um, kind of phenomenon. I do think that's happening. I just, I also wanted to point out that, you know, I'm, I'm just seeing a lot of the same names at the, at the top of these, uh, especially in the Fangraphs points, because those are the ones that I ran in full last year. Um, it's just it's interesting to me to see that those teams not only they're still winning their league but they're still I mean there are 1300 Fangrass points teams so if you're top 10 I mean that's an incredible um, incredible representation of how of how good those teams are right now um, yeah and in a lot of these cases that's a case where the team is just trouncing the league you know they're up by projected 2000 or 3000 points so they really are those teams like you described that they're not just going to win, but they can go ahead and start building for next year, really build like a dynasty level team. Or, you know, or the other side of it is because we're only one month in those 6.5 points per games and the 6.9 points per innings pitch numbers are going to come way down. And these teams just aren't as good as they look right now. I mean, you could have a team right now that had, you know, Trevor Story and Aledmus Diaz and, you know, Vincent Velasquez. And basically, if, if, if you had a team right now that would hit on all of those sort of hot starts, that team would look like a powerhouse. But maybe those individual performances regress, and then all of a sudden at a team-wide level, those perf- you know the performance regresses as well, and that team just is not as good as it, it seemed like they were. Um, I guess that to me will be interesting to see too. You know, there was discussion a couple of years ago, you know, when the Rays would make a move, everybody would say, it's genius, you know, they're the Rays. And I wonder if um, a little bit of that effect is happening here too. You know, if it was just a random series of teams placing this high, I might say, okay, you know, probably small sample size, they'll regress. Um, but if you did see some of these same teams, you know, placing in the top 10 last year, maybe for multiple years even, to me, that's kind of a sign that whatever they're doing this year is probably whatever worked for them last year. Right. You know, and, and, and as I said earlier, some of that is just that they probably had, I mean, for you to put up 20,000 points, you need to have some some amazing surplus assets. And if you have amazing surplus assets, then they're obviously going to be keepers and they're going to be surplus assets for you the next year as well. And even if they're not on your team anymore, you might have been able to flip one of those, you know, right. for a huge haul. You know, and, and, as, and as much as I like the arbitration system in Audinu, there's no denying the fact that when a team has a cheap Chris Bryant, a cheap Carlos Correa, a cheap Manny Machado, you know, et cetera, et cetera, when they have seven or eight of those assets, there's only so much you can do to, to, to ding that owner to increase the the salary attached to those significant assets. Yeah, I mean, um, you described a, a, a Bryce Harper in the thirties, you know, if somebody yeah. picked up Bryce Harper a couple of years ago for $15, I mean, you just can't raise his price fast enough to match right. how fast his value has risen. And if you had, and that same team also had a, you know, a $20 Manny Machado, then which one do you put the money on? You know, right. One of them is still going to have a huge surplus. Exactly. Maybe both. <laughs> or, or, or both of them are going to have, a good surplus, but neither, you know what I mean? Like you, you spread right. it and, and everyone just kind of creeps up a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it's very hard to get that team to really feel the impact in either of those cases. <laughs> right. 
That and that's why you know we we've brought this up in the past too. Is is you kind of have to um, if you want to protect the assets you have from arbitration, you need to have more than one asset. You need to have more than two assets um, because if you just have one good quality keeper on your team, he's going to get pounded in arbitration, and all of a sudden your surplus asset is gone. Um, so you right, and you don't have anything to replace him or to build around if you trade him. Right. So, you know, the key is, especially as a rebuilding team, it's one of the reasons why we sort of as a collective, we frown on the, the, the rebuilding strategy of just accumulating as many prospects as possible is, you know, you really want those young major league players. You want those guys that can really blow up next year. And it's, you know, we've talked about this a number of times, this recency bias where, you know, the Carlos Correa's and Chris Bryant's of the world and then Mike Trout even in the Bryce Harper's. That is not normal. We're now maybe right now we're just in some sort of crazy renaissance. There's a lot been written on fan graphs right now the about prospect bubble. <laughs> you know what percentage of of total war in the league right now is from players that are like 25 and under. I mean, where we are at historical levels of performance for young players. So maybe this is just some sort of league wide phenomenon that we're we're all experiencing at the fantasy level as well. But I would not count on that continuing. You know, you have to, and if you're going to make those bets, make those bets with players that are already in major league baseball or players that are, uh, you know, had a cup of coffee last year, a guy like Joey Gallo or somebody's close to the major league level. Yeah, exactly. Rather than the, the double a prospect that, you know, is still three years away. And by the time you even have that player on your major league roster, you've, you've spent three years and $25 rostering them. Um, that is not a good use of your, your assets, your, your, your salary cap or your roster spots, in my opinion. So, no, I absolutely agree. But well, uh, we've we're getting into enough, a little yeah. <laughs> different topic here, yeah. Um, and I'm sure we will cover that exact topic soon, perhaps even uh, in the next episode. Um, but let's take a minute here to wrap it up. I know, Justin, you are interested in knowing the time of the episode, which um, <laughs> is going to end up about 46 minutes, I think. We'll see how close I can hit that mark in the editing process. Um, unfortunately, it seems we've lost Trey along the way here. So I'll say goodnight to you, Justin, and we'll wrap it up. <laughs> All right, good night. Thanks for listening, guys.